Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, let me start by telling you, I love you. It's good to see you. I think this is gonna be a great day for you. I think it's gonna be a day that God has on the calendar to meet with you. And I've been praying for you all week and we're gonna answer this question. How do you emotionally heal from a hurt? And some of you will say that's in the past, but if the, if the problem is in the past, but the pain is in the present, then the problem continues. And sometimes the key to your future is revisiting some things in your past. And people say, I don't wanna go back. I'm talking about going back to move forward. Think of it like a bow and arrow. We're gonna go back and deal with a few things to load up power to move your life forward into God's will for you. And as we get into this sermon, we're gonna be in the book of Proverbs. And I wanna share with you an experience that our family had hopefully to earn your trust so that you let me speak into your life. Uh, some years ago, our family, my wife Grace and I, we've got five kids, they all serve here at the church and we love you. And uh, some years ago, we went through the most difficult, devastating, discouraging season of our entire life. I mean, it was, it was not in any way something that I would even want for people that I don't like. That's how bad it was. And that being said, in the middle of it, we were really confused and a little bit overwhelmed. And the result was that, uh, that we were trying to answer three questions. And these are the questions that I'm gonna ask you to consider in your own life today. What is happening? Why is it happening? How will we respond? So the what, the why, and the how. What is happening? Why is it happening? How will we respond? And in that season, it was very clear to us that we needed wise counsel. We needed to invite in godly, safe, insightful, older, more mature people. We needed to have a trusting relationship with them. We needed to have a private conversation with them and then have them help us determine the course of action going forward. And they were tremendously helpful. And this is the difference. Sometimes when we're hurting, we're leaking and venting. Any of you do that? So you just say whatever you're thinking to whoever is in front of you. That's not a way of seeking wise counsel. Okay, wise counsel is intentional, it's prayerful. And so as these people entered into the conversation and season with us, and they've remained as pastors uh, to Grace and I and our family, each one came from a different background of Christianity. They all love Jesus and believe the Bible, but it's like they brought a flashlight. And here we are trying to find God's will, but it's like we're in the dark. They turn on their flash. Okay, I see this. They turn on their flashlight. I see that. They turn on their flashlight. All of a sudden, different questions and different scriptures and different perspectives reveal to us the will of God. And here's what we're going to do today. We're gonna to look at sort of problem, solution, cause, effect, uh, pain or hurt, remedy or medication in eight categories. And the reason I tell you this is that sometimes we do great harm and weaponize the Bible when we give a truthful verse to the wrong context in person. Think of it in this way, and, and this is what happens. Um, Sometimes we just tell everybody, you know, well, just get over it or repent or forget. We just tell them the same thing. And for one person, it's wise counsel. For another person, it's actually a devastating prescription. Think of it in this way. 
Um, I was praying for you on my flight home from Nashville yesterday and this analogy came to mind. When you have pain in your body, you reach a certain point where that hurt reaches your pain threshold. At that point, you're like, I can't function as normal. I need to get some help. This is now a problem that I can't live with that needs to be remedied. You go to the doctor, perhaps they write you a prescription. You then go to the pharmacy and they fill the prescription. So it is with people. Whatever hurt or pain you are experiencing, there needs to be a correct diagnosis and then the correct prescription of the appropriate scriptures. Because the medication that will heal one person will kill another. What is true physically is also true spiritually. And so my whole prayer and goal today is to help you to respond to the circumstances in your life in a way that is wise. You're gonna read, as you read Proverbs, there's 31 chapters. You could read a chapter a week. It's gonna talk about evil people. Evil people are hurt and then they multiply the hurt. So somebody was mean to them and now they're mean. Somebody was harsh with them, now they're harsh. An evil person multiplies the hurt. Uh, in addition, what a foolish person does, they prolong the hurt. Their life isn't working, the consequences have arrived, and rather than course correcting, they just continue. They may make an excuse, but they don't make a plan. They may blame shift, but they don't own their portion of responsibility. And eventually the pain gets so great that the person who is foolish is forced to deal with reality. The wise person is the one who goes through the same experience as the evil and the foolish person, but they seek wise counsel and they try to determine exactly in the sight of God, what is happening, why is it happening? And Lord, how do you want me to respond? Now, this being said, for you to serve as wise counsel for someone else or for someone to serve as wise counsel in your life is going to require attentive, intentional listening. And let's just be honest that our world is all about communicating and not listening. Everybody's talking, nobody's listening. I told you before, my bachelor's degree is in communication. There wasn't also an option to major in listening. Right? Because our world cares a lot more about communicating than listening. Wise counsel starts by asking insightful questions. What is happening? Why do you, what do you think is happening? Why do you think it is happening? And how do you think God would have you to respond? And then helping that person process their problem. Now, how do you know that you have reached the point of someone's hurt? Well, they tend to overreact. You bring up, look, tell me about your dad. Oh, I'm not talking about that. Okay, I, I think we've, you know, it's like the metal detector. Boop, 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 boop. Okay, I think we found something here. Let's talk about, uh, you know, the early days in your marriage. Let's not. Okay, boop, 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 boop. we found something. Just like your body has pain and you become overly sensitive, the same is true of your heart and soul. You can have pain and then when something happens, you're overreacting because you're not just reacting to that, you're reacting to that which happened prior as well. And so I want us to use what I'm gonna talk about today, first for ourselves and then for others. 
And what can happen again is we weaponize the Bible when we take a truthful scripture and we give it to the wrong person. It's a misdiagnosis and it's a, uh, it's a misappropriated treatment. I'll give you one case study, then we'll jump into Proverbs. So there is a case study in the book of Job. It's in the Old Testament, J-O-B. I had a guy a few years ago, he's like, I was looking for a job. I read the book of Job. It doesn't tell you how to find a job. It's like, oh yeah, it's not Job, it's Job. Um, so there's a book of the Bible called Job. And it's the life story, a case study of a man named Job. And so Job, it says, is a righteous, godly, good man. He, he's a great guy. He loves the Lord. He walks with the Lord faithfully. God, if you can imagine his life like a bucket, God just poured blessing into it. He's got a wife, he's got kids, his business is flourishing. He's got plenty of money. He's got a great reputation. He's got health. He's got a relationship with God. His life is filled with the provision of God. And then in an instant, it's like the bottom of the bucket gets ripped out and his whole life is devastated in a very, very brief window of time. His business dies, his body gets boils in sickness, family members die, it's a crisis. What happens is different people show up and they make different diagnoses and they give different prescriptions. So his wife shows up and here's her counsel, curse God and die. That's her counsel. That would be evil, evil, foolish wise, that's evil. She's like, God obviously hates you. Why don't you just hate him and let's have this war? Okay, wow. But sometimes we do that. Sometimes we take the counsel of Job's wife. We blame God for things that he didn't do. Job's friends, I say that in quote, Job's friends come along and they only have one category, sin and repentance. Uh, sin causes suffering. If you're suffering, it must be because you're sinning. Okay, Job, you're suffering. Where is your sin? He's like, I don't know. And they're like, don't lie. No, I, I'm not sure. Okay, well then it must be really nasty if you're not gonna just disclose it. No, I'm not sure what we're talking about. Come on, come clean. What's your dirty little secret? What's your secret hidden sin? Get it out. That's, that's the misdiagnosis. And it's the wrong prescription because uh, the, the scriptures tell us that Job loved the Lord so much that Satan, Satan wanted to test him. And what he said was, you know, Job worships you because you bless him. I bet if you stop blessing him, he'll stop worshiping you. The whole thing was demonic. It wasn't because of Job's sin. It was because of Satan's sin and he was a victim. Yet he remained faithful and he loved and served and he worshiped and was devoted to the Lord. And then God in the future also blessed him again. That being said, as you look at your life, your grief, your pain, your loss, your hurt, as you go to help others, it's very important to categorically understand what is happening, why, and how to respond. So I'm gonna give you eight categories. And the first two are repentance and forgiveness. And the reason I tell you the case study of Job is just to inform you that this is only the beginning of where we'll be going. So. I'm gonna ask a series of eight questions. These are diagnostic tools for heart surgery for you today. Is your hurt caused by your sin? 
Is your hurt caused by your sin? Because sometimes we're hurting, we're like, I'm hurting so bad. Was it self-inflicted? Doesn't mean we don't love you and don't wanna help, but to be aware of that. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, I was working on a vehicle and the wrench slipped and I smacked myself in the mouth as a teenage kid. And I'm like, ah! But I didn't call 911. Why? Hello, would you like to report? I hit myself with a wrench. Yeah, well, we're not gonna fill out paperwork for that and attorneys don't need to get involved. That's just you. It still hurts, but it was self-inflicted. There are times that we put the wrench in our own mouth. There are times that we just cause ourselves pain and harm. Here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse nine. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I'm clean without sin. Anybody wanna do that? Yep, I'm perfect. Everything that's happened is their fault, not mine. I'm a victim, me and Jesus share the same resume. Nobody could say that, amen? Now, not everything in our life is a result of sin, but we need to be open to the possibility that we contributed at least a portion of the lion's share of the problem that we're facing. It's an honesty. It's saying, okay, before I put the binoculars on and look at you, I'm gonna put the mirror in front of me and examine me says this in Proverbs 19.3, when a man's folly brings his ways to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. And what he says here is this, that sometimes sinners become defiant and self-righteous, even judgmental of God. He says, a guy makes foolish decisions, his life craters, and he blames God. God, if you would have shown up, if you would have come through, if you would have done what I told you to do, then things would be different. You have failed, I am very angry. And sometimes people get angry with God and they even excuse rebellion against God because their heart is raging against God. This is where the heart is crucial. The heart is the seat, some center of who you are. It's one of the great dominating themes of the entire book of Proverbs. And once you get the heart right, the rest will sort itself out. The heart is upstream, the behavior is downstream. The, the behavior is outward, but ultimately the heart is inward. And, and it really is a battle for your heart. And if your heart is raging against the Lord, no wise counsel will be of any benefit to you. Because ultimately, I, I like to say that the want to precedes the how to. If a couple comes in and they're like, we love the Lord, we love each other, we just drive each other crazy, which is the definition of marriage, by the way. We love the Lord, we love each other, we drive each other crazy, but we wanna have a better relationship. If they both want to, then we can talk about the how-to. If they both come in and say, I'm done, I don't wanna work on it, I don't wanna talk about it. If there isn't a want to, then no how-to will be of any benefit. What he's talking about here is the heart that rages the Lord doesn't want to walk in wisdom. And so all the how-to. So this is where I tell you, some of you, there are people that you love that are self-destructing and you see that their end is going to be ruined. Their heart is railing against God. You keep giving them wise counsel or good advice, but ultimately you need to pray and address the situation of the heart. Thirdly, Proverbs 14, six, one who is wise and cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. What he is saying is this, that uh, evil people, foolish people and wise people all go through hard times. And that ultimately 
we will make mistakes. We will cross lines. We will wander and venture down the inappropriate path. We will find ourselves in some sort of complicated circumstance that was entirely of our own doing. What do we do? Well, a fool is reckless and careless and just proceeds forward. Someone who is wise and cautious, they turn from evil. This is the language in the Old Testament of what the New Testament calls repentance. You were doing this and you're like, okay, that leads to death. I'm gonna pivot, walk with the Lord in obedience and seek that which leads to life. Christianity is all about God giving new beginnings to those who have made their life misery. That's God. Now, this being said, repentance is three things. It's head, heart, hands. In your mind, you're like, okay, I, I gotta stop thinking like this. In your heart, okay, God, I need new desires. Holy Spirit, change my appetite. Give me a new palate for the things of God. And then it's hands, the decisions that you make practically and daily. The repentance starts in the head, it moves to the heart and it's revealed in the hands and the behavior ultimately changes. I love you and I'm not picking on you and we're gonna hit seven more categories, but how many of you, the pain in your life right now is because of your own sin and that you have now reaped what you've sown, you're experiencing the consequences of the decisions you've made. Repenting of that is apologizing to God, asking for Jesus' forgiveness, and then covenanting with God by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna make some changes in my life. I'm gonna stop blaming everybody else and excusing myself and raging against God, and I'm gonna seek the will of God, I'm gonna trust the heart of God, I'm gonna walk in the wisdom of God. Number two, did someone sin against you and hurt you? Not only do we sin, we're victims of sin. Some of you would say, okay, in this painful hurt or circumstance, other people were involved. I bear a small measure of responsibility, but the majority of responsibility would be on their side of the ledger. And this is often true. Proverbs 14:10, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. He's gonna keep coming back to the heart. So my question to you would be, if you had to choose one word to describe the condition of your heart today, what would it be? Broken, cheerful, um, devoted, uh, wayward, backslidden, rebellious, uh, bitter is the word he uses here. A bitter heart is where you have been sinned against and you've not forgiven. Now, let me say this, it is often not the size of the offense, but the affection for the offender that determines the degree of hurt and potential bitterness. What I mean is this, a stranger can do something that is quite devastating and someone you love can do something that is in comparison quite minor. And that hurts more because you had greater affection for them. The situation may have not been a big deal, but the relationship with the person was a big deal. The people we are most likely to get bitter against are the people that we love the most. That's why oftentimes unforgiveness and bitterness is a particular problem in family systems. Now, um, what happens, he says, the bitter heart has no joy. If you're bitter, unforgiving, hurt, wounded, jaded, disappointment, bearing a grudge, keeping a record of wrong, eventually 
it overtakes all of your life and you enjoy nothing because your heart is bitter. I know people like this. Even when good things happen, they're not happy. Even when blessing shows up, their disposition is still dour. It's not because God hasn't provided externally, but because they harbor bitterness and unforgiveness internally. How about this? Uh, Proverbs 23, 17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. When someone hurts you or sins against you, you're like, why do they get to do that? Why do they get away with that? Why do they get to act like that? Heck, I'm gonna do it. And it can tempt us to join them in evil and or folly. You yelled at me, I'm gonna yell at you. You posted on my Facebook page. Okay, we're gonna do this, here we go. Everybody's gonna know. And all of a sudden there's a mushroom cloud over your life. It's just an absolute war. What he says is, when, don't respond to hurt with hurt, hate with hate. If, if your tendency is to get bitter, bring it to God and he'll make it better. Don't envy sinners, but fear the Lord. That's a God first life and bringing your heart to God so that God could change your heart from bitter to better. And then he also says this in Proverbs 24, 17. Jesus is going to say something similar. Do not rejoice when who? It's okay to say that somebody's an enemy. If, if you have a lot of them, you may be, uh, you know, a little better, just throwing it out there. But, <laughs> but some people are enemies. You're like, man, if they get an opportunity, what they will do is harm me. That's their thing. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Jesus says that we're to forgive those and love those who persecute us and hate us. And he says that we need to bless those who do evil against us. The blessing of someone is the test of forgiveness. So you say, I've forgiven them. Okay, have you blessed them? Heck no. Okay, then you haven't forgiven them because the blessing is the test of forgiving. I'm not gonna do something nice for them. They're a horrible person. Okay, then you haven't forgiven, like Jesus says, quote, from the heart. There's still bitterness in the heart, not forgiveness from the heart. I told you so. <laughs> I saw this coming. Yeah, I told you, this is how it's gonna go down. I predicted it, you're welcome. You should have listened to your Mother, so you had that mom. Okay, this is, this is rejoicing that they are suffering. The, the remedy to that is forgiving. Let me tell you what forgiveness is not, five things, five things that forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not necessarily between you and the person. It's really between you and the Lord. You may forgive them and they may not know. You may not have communication with them. Maybe situation is such that they don't even know that they have really hurt you. They're completely oblivious and unaware. Forgiving is primarily a matter between you and God, not necessarily between you and them. Forgiveness is both a one-time event and an ongoing process. 
It's a one-time event and an ongoing process. How do I know? They come to Jesus and here's the question. How long do we gotta forgive? How many times we gotta forgive somebody? Right? He says 70 times seven. I'm not good at math, but that sounds like a lot. Amen? That's a lot. Can you imagine, what is that, 490 times? How many of you? You're like, I gotta forgive 490 times? If you're married, you better, otherwise you won't be married, okay? Somebody like 490, we call that Tuesday. I know, <laughs> 70 times seven. <laughs> 70 times seven, which is a one-time event and a process because sometimes somebody hurts us and then they keep hurting us. Or sometimes they hurt us and they've stopped, but then the pain shows up in the future. It's almost like you've been in a car wreck and you feel fine and the next day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm totally out of alignment. Sometimes you get hit with something and you don't feel the consequences of it till later and then you need to forgive again. In addition, forgiveness, number three, is not enabling a crime, foolishness, irresponsibility, or sin. Well, if you've forgiven me, pay my rent. No, 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 no. Forgiveness is not a blank check to bless your foolish and or evil behavior. You can call the cops, you can let somebody suffer consequences and still have forgiven them. Forgiveness is not trust or reconciliation. Forgiveness can be free in a moment, but trust is earned over time. And just because you've forgiven them doesn't mean you need to reconcile with them. If you're dating and they cheat on you, you don't need to be boyfriend and girlfriend. You don't have to. If you're working together and your business partner steals from you, you don't have to continue to do business with them. You have that free will choice to decide what it is you should do in response to what they have done. And that ultimately, when it comes to this matter of forgiving, um, it is not trust. Um, this will be a little painful, but Grace and forgiveness is an unlimited account. Trust is an account that you make deposits and withdrawals. And if someone only makes deposits, never makes withdrawals, you can't trust them. You can't trust them. As somebody came to me recently like, do you not trust me? I don't even know you. To trust you, I need to get to know you and see whether or not you're trustworthy. So forgiveness, trust, Forgiveness, reconciliation, not identical. Number five, your forgiveness is not God's forgiveness. What you're doing is you're saying, I'm not going to seek vengeance, hold court and render a verdict over this person. I'm going to hand that case to the Lord. I'm gonna let God try the case. I'm going to let God deal with the person. And you may forgive them and God might send them to hell. You have done what you should do, they have not done what they should have done. And that's repented to the Lord and sought his forgiveness in addition to yours. Five things forgiveness is, number one, forgiveness is responding to Jesus instead of the person who hurt you. So when someone hurts you, you can either react to them or respond to him. And sometimes when we feel hurt or offended, it's almost like we get, you know, blinders on and all we see is that person and we don't look up and see the Lord. When you're hurt, it's important to step to the side and say, okay, this person is obscuring my view of Jesus. Let me get some silent solitude time of the Lord. Let me change my position. Okay, Lord, 
Okay, how do you want me to respond? Because I don't wanna react to them, I wanna respond to him. How many of you responding to him is always better than reacting to them? How many of you reacting to them made it worse? Responding to him makes it better. Um, Forgiveness is choosing to be both a forgiven and a forgiving person. Uh, The Bible says, Colossians, Ephesians, to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. So God forgives us, gives us this gift of forgiveness. And then we determine that we're going to share this gift that God gives us through Jesus Christ. I'm a forgiven person and I need to be a forgiving person. And it is primarily to maintain a healthy relationship with God, whether or not this relationship is in fact healed. Number three, forgiveness is transferring the burden to God so you don't have to carry it. There are things in your past that are just too heavy for you. And you don't have any resolution. The person died, they won't apologize, they've not changed. They don't even acknowledge the hurt that they've caused. And it's like a, it's like a burden that you bear, it's a weight that you carry. Forgiveness is transferring that burden to the Lord Jesus who says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And it's saying, Jesus, I can't carry this. I need you to carry it. Lord Jesus, if I carry this, it's gonna crush me. So I need you to relieve me. That's what forgiveness does. It allows you to to move forward. Number four, forgiveness is ceasing to control the outcome of events. Sometimes we were like, I can't forgive until they apologize and they own it and then they see it. And once I get the outcome I'm seeking, then I will apply forgiveness. Forgiveness says, no, I will put forgiveness at the starting line and trust God for the outcome, not at the finish line if I get my outcome. Some of you are high control people, high control people. And it's because you don't trust God to have good for your future. And you believe that if the outcome is not in your hand, it will not be a good outcome. You need to trust it's in God's hands. This is particularly true of those who have suffered trauma, have a lot of fears, and as a result are high control. Forgiveness is allowing that burden to be transferred and also to hand the entire scenario over to the Lord and you get out of the seat of the sovereign and stop trying to control the future. Number five, forgiveness is how you let go of sin and stress to heal spiritually, emotionally, and physically. If you forgive, your heart will cease being bitter and it will start getting better. The Holy Spirit will flow through your heart because the Holy Spirit, he is about forgiveness. In addition, as you forgive from the heart, your heart is healed. It then starts to renew your mind and to renew your joy. And sometimes people have significant medical, physical problems just because they are bound up from the pain of their past, bitterness, unforgiveness. And as a result, it causes stomach problems and heart attacks and and lots of stress. And forgiveness is letting God heal you on the inside so you could start living on the outside. 
Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to forgive? These are the first two categories. Repentance of your sin, forgiveness of their sin. These are like two pedals on the bike for the Christian life. You're gonna need to use these frequently to make any forward progress, but they're not the only categories. Again, prescription is for the problem, and this is not the only problem. There are many others. Uh, Let's go to number three. What powerful lies are you believing? Proverbs 14, 25, a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. What he says is when circumstances happen, we will ask what is happening, why, how should I respond? Those decisions are determined by truth or lies. If it's the truth, it brings us to reality and God. If it is not the truth, it leads us to deception and death. This is why two people can go through the same circumstances at the same time and have completely different responses because one believes the truth and the other believes something that is a lie. And let me say this, when you are hurting, that's when you are most susceptible to lying because your life is confused and complicated. It's, it's painful and problematic. Now your ears are open because you're, you're open to some sort of solution or resolution. This is where Satan will either send a spirit or a person to bring you a lie. Jesus says in John 8 that Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. Lying is his native language. Some of you are bilingual. Satan's bilingual. He speaks all the nations of the earth, but his primary first language is lying. Means he's incredibly adept at it. And Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Some of you, because of the pain you've experienced, have opened yourself up to lies that just multiply your pain. I'll give you one more, uh, Proverbs 12, 17. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. I'm gonna ask you this question. Whose voice is loudest in your life? It ain't mine. I only get you an hour a week. I love you. Thanks for the hour. If you didn't know it's gonna be an hour, it'd be at least that. But the most powerful voice in your life is your voice. Your thoughts, your processing, your verbalizing. Don't be a false witness in your own life. Don't be a false witness in your own life. Let me me give you a couple of case studies. The nice thing is I've... I've been a pastor for a couple decades in multiple states, so I can tell illustrations that aren't you. So you're welcome. So some years ago, I'll give you a case study in a, in a lie. There was a woman who was married to a man who was regularly committing adultery on her. He would go out with other women, post photos of him with the other woman or women on social media. He was an unbeliever, she was a believer. I met with her and I said, okay, what, why, how? Those are the questions. I said, what is happening? She says, my husband is unfaithful to me and he broadcasts it and everyone knows and it's devastating and horrifying. And she said, "Uh, he wants to have kids and start a family. She said, I'm not sure I wanna bring kids into this world, but I think we should. 
Okay, okay. That's what's happening. Okay, why do you think that you need to stay in the marriage and maybe even have children with this man? She said, because God is punishing me and I need to accept my punishment. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I shouldn't have dated him in the first place and I shouldn't have married him. And now this is God just punishing me for marrying him. Is that truth or a lie? That's a lie. And, and you know what, some of you be like, that's crazy. You believe things that are equally crazy, but they make sense to you. And when you verbalize them to someone else, then they bear true witness to your false witness. I looked at her, I said, no, 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 no. Jesus died on the cross, the punishment was taken care of. You don't need to get crucified every day by this man and then bring children into the world to also be crucified by this man. Jesus died once for all, so nobody else needs to get hung. No, you're forgiven. Pray for his soul, maybe he repents. Odds are this does not have a happy ending, but at the end of the day, you are believing a lie and that lie is interpreting your data of experience and it is determining your decision in response. What, what powerful lies do you believe? And most powerful lies are about God and you. And Jesus says, the truth will set you free. How about this one? Number four, what foolish choices have made your life harder? How many of you? How many of you have made foolish choices? So you're like, Yes, it was last night. I have such a headache, right? So, and I still can't find my car. Okay, so what happens is some things are sinful, some things are just stupid, right? Well, the Bible says thou shalt not go to the casino. I'm just telling you, their house is bigger than yours. You're gonna lose. That's just how this is gonna work. It may not be sinful, but it ain't smart. It's kind of stupid. There's lots of things that we do that are foolish, maybe not necessarily sinful, but just not helpful. Amen? Some of you are like, yeah, my, my spouse needs this sermon. You do too. Welcome to both of you. Okay, so <laughs> Proverbs 14, 14, the backslider. What this is, this is someone that God has brought progress in your life. You've stepped forward and now you're sliding back into old habits, old patterns, old routines, old decisions. You're sliding back. The backslider in where? In heart, again, is your heart a backslider's heart? If so, it's a foolish heart. Will be filled with the fruit of his ways and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. What he's talking about here is the principle of sowing and reaping right? Sow wisdom, reap fruit. Sow folly, reap pain. Foolish people, they ignore or deny the biblical principle, it's in Proverbs and elsewhere, of sowing and reaping. If you want to harvest here, you better plant over here. If you want to eat tomorrow, uh, you, you better sow seed for your crops today. If you want a good marriage, you better sow into that. You want a relationship with your kids, you need to sow into that. The easiest way to see this is to think about your retirement account. Think of it in financial terms, just practically as one case study. 
What happens if you don't sow into your retirement account? You reap great devastation and pain in your elderly years. And what this is, this is people that don't understand the principle of delayed gratification. Well, I wanted something, so I put it on credit. You know, I wanted something, so I spent all my money. I, I wanted something and I didn't save and wait, or I, I didn't take time to cultivate. Instead, I just consumed. He says this as well, Proverbs 22, 23. Get the truth and never sell it. You may get a car and sell it. You may get a house and sell it. If you get truth, that is a priceless family heirloom and treasure. Keep that wisdom and then give it as part of the inheritance to your kids and grandkids. It's the most valuable thing you have. More than money, you need wisdom. America keeps minting money and not making wise choices. Also, get wisdom, discipline, good judgment. These things go together. Wisdom is reality, finding God's will. Uh, discipline is, okay, these are the decisions I need to make to move forward and not be sliding back. And that leads to good judgment. I'll give you an example. Uh, I talked to a guy some years ago. He was, I think in his 20s, been a Christian for a while. And uh, he's like, Pastor Mark, I need to talk to you. Okay, what's going on, buddy? He's like, man, life was going good. And then everything just got torpedoed. What happened? He's like, I lost my job. My girlfriend dumped me and my car exploded. I was like, I'm, I'm sorry you're living a country Western song. I'm sorry you're in that situation. <laughs> if your dog runs away, I'll get you a guitar and you can sing about it, okay? So I said, okay, well, what happened? He's like, I told you, my, I lost my job. I lost my girlfriend, my car blew up. Now I can't pay my bills. I can't even pay my rent. I said, okay, why do you think this happened? He literally said, I kid you not, he's like, I don't know, maybe it's like Job. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> right? Rock, paper, scissors, Job. Yeah, I shouldn't pull that out, right? It's just, now you may be Job, but probably not. <laughs> right, if you read the Bible, you're like, me and Job and Jesus, that's my trinity. You got it wrong, okay? <laughs> I said, okay, tell me about your job. Why do you think you lost it? He's like, I don't know. Okay, tell me about your job. He's like, I really didn't like the job. I didn't have a heart for it. And I showed up late a lot. <laughs> Sir, some, some things are like a ninja. They sneak up on you. Other things, you just see them coming and you don't get out of the way. You're like, I'm not showing up and I don't like my job. What, I got fired? Who could have guessed? I said, okay, tell me. <laughs> Tell me about your girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend. He's like, yeah, she loved the Lord. And he said, honestly, I was just kind of mean and cold and indifferent. So she dumped me. That's what happens, right? <laughs> this is not a shock. This is, you made a foolish decision. So I asked him, I said, uh, tell me about your car. <laughs> He's like, I don't know, it was a good car and just blew up. I was like, were there any indications that there was a problem with the car? He's like, well, the check engine light was on. I was like, okay. Because right? again, foolish people don't deal with reality. I actually know a guy who would put tape over the service engine light and pretend that his car was fine. Okay, I know that guy. Some of you are like, that's a good idea. No, it's not. This guy's like, yeah, the check engine light was on. I said, how long was the check engine light on until the car exploded? He said, I don't know, a couple months. 
his whole life was deferred maintenance. He, 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 he didn't do the maintenance on his job. He didn't do the maintenance on his relationship. He didn't do the maintenance on his car. He didn't do the maintenance on his finances. I looked at him, I said, uh, okay, here's what happened. Here's why it happened. How do you want me to respond? He said, Pastor Mark, I need money. I said, you need wisdom because I can give you money and without wisdom, we will arrive at this same scenario. Money is not your problem. Wisdom is your problem. I did give him money and I tried to give him wisdom, but I told him, this is it. This is an opportunity for you to make some changes. And if you don't, the pain will continue. How many things in your life, it's deferred maintenance. You didn't watch your diet, you didn't watch your health, you didn't watch your money, you didn't watch your relationships, you didn't watch your home, you didn't watch your portfolio, you didn't watch your car, and all of a sudden, everything breaks. The way out of that is wisdom, which is going to take some work and obedience over time. It's oftentimes not a quick fix because it took a long time for the problem to come, and sometimes it takes an equally lengthy period of time to resolve the problem. Number five. A pivot here, how has life broken you? If you live on planet earth, at some point life will break you. Life is hard, amen? It's, it's so bad, nobody gets out alive. That's how bad life is. <laughs> that life at some point, circumstances are going to break you. Proverbs 15, 13, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. He's saying that the face is oftentimes a reflection of and a window into the heart. You can look at somebody who's, they're just beaming. You're like, okay, well, what's going on? You're sure happy. You see somebody else, you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? Because the face reveals the heart. And what he's talking about here is a heart where the spirit is what? Crushed. At various points in varying ways, we all experience a crushing. It could be financial, emotional, mental, spiritual, relational, parental, but you get crushed. And it's not, I sinned or they sinned or we were stupid or it's just, life is broken. This is where you really love your spouse and they get cancer. This is where you really love your kids and they go prodigal. This is where you were good with your finances and your investment broker ran away with it. And you're like, okay, I, I don't think it's my sin necessarily. Maybe it was their sin. Sometimes it's just brokenness. Sometimes it's just brokenness. I know somebody that was healthy. They lived a, a very healthy lifestyle and recently, prematurely, they just dropped out of a heart attack, right? And now the wife and kids are dealing with the aftermath. It's just brokenness because of the fallen world we live in. Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. You know that life has broken you when you just don't have the energy to continue. You're just tired. And it's not just a weariness of the body, it's a weariness of the heart and soul. And you're just like, I can't do it. I don't have it. 
I'm not doing good. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. You're just exhausted. I just want to go home. I just want to be left alone. I, 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 I'm just broken. In the Bible, there are two kinds of brokenness. One is hopeless, the other is hopeful. The hopeless brokenness is where life breaks you and you don't bring your brokenness to God for healing. And so you just live broken. That's hopeless. The hopeful brokenness in the Bible is there sin or folly or rebellion in your life. And then the Holy Spirit breaks through and breaks you. Now you've got a broken heart, but it's a heart that is broken over sin and it is healed through obedience. So when your heart is broken, the question is, is this to break you or to create your breakthrough? And sometimes brokenness is the means to breakthrough. If we are broken over the things that break God's heart and we bring our heart to God to be healed. Let me say this as well. I love ministering to men. It's part of God's anointing and calling on my life. Sometimes bad men are broken men. Sometimes a bad person and a broken person can do the exact same thing, but this person is acting badly because they've been broken badly and they've not brought it to the Lord for healing and health. That's why if you listen and ask people's stories, tell me about your upbringing, tell me about your parents, tell me about your family, tell me about an average day when you were a kid, you start to get a scenario of what perhaps has broken them. Because sometimes if it's brokenness internally and bad behavior externally, if all we do is go after the external behavior and not the internal brokenness, we're not really helping the person. And let me just say this as well, this is parenting. It's getting to the matters of the heart, knowing that what is internal will eventually determine what occurs external. But it's just brokenness. How many of you have broken a bone? We use a physical analogy for a spiritual illustration. When you break a bone, what do you do? Say, say break a bone, what do you do? You go find a professional, you're like, it's, I need it reset. And then I need to pay attention and be sensitive and considerate of it. I need to give it some time so that it can heal and reset. And then I'll probably need to go through physical therapy and rehabilitation to get back to normal. Not only do bones get broken, so do hearts. And when the heart is broken, it needs the same thing that a broken bone needs. Somebody who is wise to reset it, a lot of grace to protect it and time to heal it. Some of you have been broken, but you have just proceeded forward. I, I, I know people that say things like, I can't deal with that. I can't revisit that. I don't have time for that. I, do, I can't fall apart. Too much depends on me. Well, your future will not be healthy unless your heart is healthy. So doing more is not your priority. Becoming more must be your priority. Give you an example. 
Some years ago, there was a lady that Grace and I knew, her and her husband, great family, newer Christians, love the Lord, real major you know, transition, transformation life story. They had a few kids, they were good parents, they loved their kids, we love their kids. She, kept ha- she really wanted to have more kids, she kept having miscarriages. Multiple, you know what that is? That's, that's breaking. That leads to brokenness. And so I heard that we were on vacation in Oregon at the time and I heard that she had another miscarriage. She was in the process of miscarrying. So I, I called her up and I think I talked to her husband as well. I think it was a little, little family call. And I said, what? Okay, what's happening? She said, I'm miscarrying again. Okay, why do you think this is happening? She said, I think God is crushing my idol of children. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, somebody told me that when you have an idol, God must crush it and he keeps crushing my children so they must be my idol. That is a scripture that doesn't apply to this situation, right? Good medication, wrong prescription. I said, I know you well, your children are not an idol. You love the Lord and you love children. God is not in heaven every time you get pregnant, loading the gun and shooting the baby in your womb. Oh, gotta get rid of that idol. Got get rid of that idol, get rid of that idol. I said, that it, you're believing a lie? And I said, all that lie will continue to do is break you. You won't heal. I told her, I said, you know what? Your heart needs a funeral. You, you, you need to give yourself permission and time to work through a grief process. This broken heart might take some time to heal. You, you've lost multiple children. Let me give you permission to look at your life, make some adjustments, to carve out the time and energy to heal brokenness in the presence of God. God loves you, God wants good for you. God wants you to have a healthy heart so that you can have a cheerful face. Number six, do you feel guilty, dirty, or undeserving? I am short on time, let me hustle. Proverbs 30, 12, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but not washed of their filth. The Bible has some dozen words, uncleanness, defilement, filth, Um, certain people in the Bible, when they walk into a room, they were to declare unclean, unclean. That was their irrevocable, irreversible identity. There are people who are dirty and defiled and they're like, I'm fine. And they're proud of things that they should be ashamed of. There are people who know that they are defiled. They did something wrong that made them dirty or unclean. They're like, I fixed it. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I, I, I got out of that. No, that's not how this works. And then there are those of us who because of either sin we've committed or sin that's been committed against us, we feel dirty, we feel defiled, we feel unclean, we feel ashamed. You know that you have a lingering sense of defilement when you hide from God's presence or filled with shame and cover yourself so that no one knows who you truly are or what you've truly done. 
This is why people leave church and small groups and relationships. They do something that makes them feel very dirty. And they're like, I don't want anybody to see that. Therefore, I need to flee from God's presence and people. All of this starts in Genesis 3, where our first parents, they did something wrong. And for the first time in human history, it says that they felt shame. And God showed up to be present with them and they flee from the presence of God. And they make fig leaves to cover themselves. This is what shame-filled people do. So what's the answer? What's the solution? What's the resolution? Uh, Let me say this. What we're talking about here is your identity. And your identity comes in one of three ways. What you have done, what they have done to you, or what Jesus has done for you. Those are the three ways to form an identity. If your identity is based upon what you've done, then you're either going to be arrogant or despairing. I'm awesome or I'm awful. If your identity is based upon what others have done to you, then they and not God have set your identity, which is probably a lie. Our identity as believers is rooted in what Jesus has done for us. And now let me just say this too, I'm way way over time and way off notes, but I just feel this is important. Oftentimes this is in regard to sexual sin. One of the first places that I can remember, I think it's in Genesis 34, that it is said that they were defiled. It speaks of a woman who was sexually assaulted. She she was defiled. Sometimes those kinds of transgressions uh, are the most shameful and they are the most, um, they are most defiling. Let me give you a little line of what Jesus did for you. Hebrews 12, two. It says to look to Jesus who endured the cross and despised the shame. Jesus not only died for your sin, he died for your shame. Not only does he take away your sin, he takes away your shame. And so the sin goes to Jesus and the shame goes to Jesus and the righteousness and the cleanness comes to you. This is why God's people get to wear white because they are defined not by what they have done or others have done to them, but by what Jesus has done for them. Man, I want this for you. This is why some of you are like, yeah, I'm not gonna serve. I'm not gonna host a life group. I'm not gonna talk about God. I just am ashamed of some things I've done and I'm just gonna keep my head down and no, 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 no. No, lift your face up to Jesus. Have that shame lifted and that burden removed and that, that filth cleaned. People who don't understand this, they know that they're forgiven, but they don't know that they're clean. It's important to know both. Case study some years ago, I was talking to a woman. She just kept dating losers. Single gal, love the Lord, nice gal. She was otherwise successful in her career. But when it came to guys, her picker was broken. If, if a loser showed up, that was her first round draft choice. And I was like, you gotta rethink your whole draft board. You, 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 you pick the worst guy. I said, why do you keep dating these really bad guys? She said, quote, because I'm damaged goods. 
I said, explain that. She said, well, when I was little, some things were done to me. And when I was a teenager, I was rebellious and I did some things. And as a result, I'm damaged goods. I literally started crying. And I looked at her and I said, you are not damaged, you are daughter. God is a father. What was done to you defiled you. It caused you to do things that further defiled you. And Jesus died to forgive what you have done and to cleanse what you and they have done. And the father's heart is for you. He doesn't call you damaged, he calls you daughter. She looked at me, she's like, I'm a daughter? You're a daughter. You're a daughter of God the Father. No one delights in their defilement, but fathers do delight in their daughters. That's the father heart of God. Number seven, there are eight. Just, that's, that's not an apology, it's just an acknowledgement. <laughs> I get paid by the point. You're gonna be here a while, okay? Uh, <laughs> number seven, who or what do you fear? Fear is what negates faith. You either live, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the fear of someone else. So it's either God first or someone or something else first. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety, People struggle with anxiety, right? Number one prescription category of medication in America, antidepressants, and many people have trouble sleeping and these go together. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. You're looking at the future, you're stressed, you're worried, you're anxious, it's gonna be bad, it's not gonna go good. Oh my gosh, brace myself for this apocalyptic doom that I see on the horizon. Couple of things about fear. Fear of tomorrow robs you of joy today. Fear turns you into a false prophet. A false prophet is one who predicts a future that doesn't come to pass. We've all done this in our life, right? You're like, I look down the corridor of time, a train is coming and I can't get off the track. It's going to destroy me. And then you're like, no, that was just a kid with a flashlight. I overreacted. <laughs> I just overreacted. How many of you have freaked out about things that never happened? Remember Y2K? <laughs> it's a great case study. We were told what? The end of the world is coming. The Antichrist will emerge. All the computers will reset at midnight at the change of the millennium. The power grid will drop. Demons will rise from hell. People are gonna eat all the food. And when they run out, they're gonna eat you and your family, okay? So everybody moved to Prescott. They're like, we're out, okay? So, and they got bunkers and guns and canned goods. And what happened? Nothing. Some of you are still eating those canned goods. That's how much you stocked up. Like, man, we still got beans, right? <laughs> Because see, what fear does, it causes us to look into the future and erase the presence of God. Faith causes us to look into the future and assume the presence of God. How do you know you're anxious or stressed? How do you sleep? Proverbs 3.24, you can go to bed without 
Some of you are like, no, you can't. <laughs> Let God be true and every man a liar. Some of you are like, oh, because your mind is so anxious that your heart is not restful. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and what? Sleep soundly. Sleep soundly. In addition to general fear, possibly the most powerful fear is what I'll call the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. He's juxtaposing faith in God and fear of people. When you fear someone, you are lifting them up above you and it obscures your view of God and all of your decision-making is to control their behavior. Bless me, don't punish me, don't make this hurt, don't make this awkward. I'll do whatever you want, just don't give me what I don't want. Okay? This is domineering, overbearing, bullies, pushy people. And some of you have fear of man issues. You know that you have fear of man when their opinion matters too much and your decision is based upon seeking to control their reaction. Ultimately, you cannot live with someone as Lord and Jesus as Lord. There's only one Lord. I was dealing with a woman some years ago. She came up to me between event sessions and it was a rush time. And she's like, okay, I just know I got a few minutes. Let me just tell you. She's like, I might move to this city or that city or go to this college or that college or take this job or that job. I was like, okay, what about that? She's like, well, what if? What if my parents get mad? What about this? What if my boyfriend gets mad? Okay, what about this? What if my church gets mad? Okay, well, what about this city? Well, what if it's too cold and what if it's too hot? And I'm just like, every possible scenario for her was an apocalyptic what if. I said, you have got to stop worrying about what they're thinking, find what he's thinking, stop worrying about what they're saying and hear what he's saying. Fear does not lead you into the will of God. Only faith leads you into the will of God. Who or what do you fear? Is that the problem? Then faith is the solution. Last one, have you hardened your heart? Somebody like, Mark, you've been yelling at me for 65 minutes. This happened a long time ago. <laughs> Proverbs 28, 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. God doesn't just bless people. He blesses people whose hearts are for him. Some of you are like, why does God bless them and not them? Well, check the heart, right? If your heart is not good, God can't bless that which is against him. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Question, is life hard? It is. But a hard life does not need to produce a hard heart. What happens when life gets hard, we harden our heart. And when someone reveals our hardened heart, we blame our hard life. Well, of course I'm angry. Look what happened. Of course I respond this way. Look at how I was treated. And when we do that, we are disarming the person who's seeking to help us. 
Because what we're saying is, I'm a victim, therefore I get to have a hard heart. And if you wanna talk to me about my hard heart, I will shift the topic to my tragic, terrible tale of what happened to me and why I am the way that I am. And then you have no right to talk to me because I'm a victim and I've been through a lot and you don't understand and you can't judge me. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Your heart is under your jurisdiction. Your heart is your responsibility. This is why two people can go through the same thing. One emerges with a tender heart and the other emerges with a hardened heart because they made different decisions in regards to their relationship with God. The Puritans used to say, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. Right? If your heart is... For the Lord, it will melt. If your heart is against the Lord, it will bake. How many of you have got a hard heart? Or who is your heart hard toward? You're like my spouse, my kid, those people, yeah, I got nothing for them. What a hard heart is, it's a tomb that you put your soul in until they put your body in a different tomb. The reason that you harden your heart is you don't wanna feel pain, but the result is you don't feel anything. These are men who are flatline zeros on the Richter scale of emotion. They're not happy, they're not sad, they're just hard. They're just hard. Today, Jesus wants to perform heart surgery in you. Jesus wants to fulfill a promise given to Ezekiel that God would take out your old heart and give you a new heart. He would take out your hard heart and give you a tender heart. Here's how this is gonna be possible. I'll invite the band up and we'll get ready to sing and partake of communion. But let me explain how this works. We sin against God. God did not harden his heart toward you. Instead, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is God's heart for you. Jesus lives without any sin of any sort or kind. And we prepare to murder him. So in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was betrayed and died, his heart was wrestling with the father's heart. Jesus said, take this cup from me. What he's talking about is, I don't wanna be separated from you. I wanna suffer like this. This pain is beyond my threshold to bear. I cannot endure the wrath of God. Is there any other way for our hearts to be tender toward others without me being crushed in their place? And then he surrendered his heart to the Father's heart. He surrendered his will to the Father's will. And he said, your will be done. And then Jesus goes to the cross. And Jesus on the cross died so that you could experience the tender heart of God and you could receive a tender heart from God. Aren't you glad on the cross that Jesus didn't harden his heart and say, no, no forgiveness for them, no life for them, no peace for them, no joy for them. My heart is hard against them. It's not what Jesus said or did. They ran a spear 
through Jesus' side, it punctured his sack. Jesus literally died spiritually and physically of a broken heart. Jesus Christ is the heart of God for you. His heart is tender, not hard. It is forgiving, not bitter. It is wise, not foolish. It is life-giving, it is not burden-giving. I want you to bring your heart to Jesus. I want this to be a sacred meeting between you and him because I can provide information, but only God can provide transformation. I can provide information, but only God can provide impartation. I love you. Thank you for the honor of letting me teach. And now I want you to meet with God.